0: Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with new developments today in the case of Meng Wanzhou, the Chinese executive at the center of a multinational legal battle.
1: One day after the U.S. Department of Justice officially charged the Huawei CFO and formally requested her extradition, she was in court. And as Romina Dea reports, what happens next is up to the Canadian government.
2: Thank you, thank you. How you're doing. Meng Wanzhou oh silent as she traversed the underground hallways of the courthouse with her security detail. The Huawei CFO trading in her power suit for yoga gear. BC Supreme Court Justice William Murky approving a minor tweak switching sureties on Meng's $10 million bail. The clock now ticking for Canada's Justice Minister, who has until March 1st to decide whether an extradition hearing will proceed.
3: The Americans
4: uh, had, uh, they have time limits and they have uh, they have now clearly manifested their intention to move forward with an extradition proceeding in Canada.
2: The U.S. Justice Department laid 13 charges against Meng and Huawei on Monday, including bank and wire fraud. 13 charges by the Americans. She must be scared.
5: She's confident uh, in her innocence uh, and in the justice system.
2: Huawei also asserting its innocence, denying the company, its subsidiary or affiliate, broke any U.S. laws laid out in the indictments. Ms. Mung, why should people believe you that you won't breach your bail? Mung's arrest and detention last month at the behest of the U.S., a no-win situation for Canada.
3: Now, this case is put to uh, Canada between the large American elephant and the huge Chinese gorilla in terms of economic power. Canada gets crumbs out of this. We pay the bill. We have no advances coming out of trade negotiations. Meng
2: did not ask the judge to loosen her bail conditions. She's currently living in Vancouver in one of her two multi-million dollar homes. Meng's court-ordered conditions include an electronic monitoring ankle bracelet, travel restrictions, and a curfew. Hmong 's next court appearance is March 6th in Vancouver. The judge noting he has no idea whether it could be months or years before the matter is resolved. Ramina Daya, Global News.
0: Vancouver police have made an arrest in a deadly shooting on the weekend. It happened just before midnight on Saturday at a home near Fraser Street and East 51st Avenue. Zenon Cepeda Silva was shot and died in hospital. 58-year-old Alvaro Julio Roche-Garcia has been arrested and faces a charge of first-degree murder. The shooting was Vancouver's second homicide of the year.
1: Vancouver City Council is taking on the thorny issue of possible money laundering through City Hall. One councillor is sounding the alarm about people using large amounts of cash to make payments, like property taxes, and she wants the city to make changes. Tanya Beja has the details. City Council voted unanimously
6: to support a motion by Melissa DiGenova calling for a better financial oversight and reporting requirements around cash payments here at City Hall. Right now, anyone can pay their property taxes, empty homes tax or business license fees in cash. The city says that only about 1% of revenue is collected in cash. That amounts to about $13 million. But DiGenova wants to make sure the money is coming from legitimate sources. The motion also calls for better cooperation with VPD and the RCMP on ways to prevent and deter money laundering. I'm not
2: accusing anyone of anything, but I think that we're more likely to see money laundered or uh, uh, organized crime welcome if we don't have certain bylaws in place to make sure that uh, we, we move forward in a way that's as transparent
6: and accountable as possible. Following DeGenova's motion, Councillor Christine Boyle says she wants City Council to support calls for a public inquiry at the provincial level on money laundering. There's been a lot of uh, centralised
2: issues around money laundering in Vancouver. The term, the Vancouver model is used uh, and so it's clear that this is a local city issue as well as a provincial issue, um, and I hope we can get to the bottom of it. Boyle
6: plans to raise the motion at the next city council meeting. Chris and Sophie, back to you.
0: All right, thanks very much, Tanya. It's a sad day for BC hockey fans, especially in the southern interior.
1: After more than 20 years in Cranbrook, the Western Hockey League's Kootenay Ice is pulling up stakes and moving on. Squire Barnes joins us now to talk more about this kind of saw this coming.
7: Well, yeah. I mean, the, uh, the new owners that bought in in 2017 have Winnipeg roots, and that's where the team is going to go. Now, they said they did try to make a go of it in Cranbrook. The one thing I will say is if you look at the attendance year after year in the Western Hockey League, the Kootenai Ice were either on the bottom or near the bottom many times. And it's not a very big town. As you can see right here, not a lot of fans in the stands. The funny thing is, for many years, the Kootenai Ice are one of the most successful franchises in the Western Hockey League. They won a Memorial Cup in 2002. They won three Western Hockey League championships in Cranbrook, but unfortunately, small market teams are finding it tough to survive, even in junior hockey, and Cranbrook was one of the smaller markets in the Western Hockey League.
8: These are challenging times in order for small markets to graze the level of support. It's not a reflection of, at all on this community, because this community, I think, gave everything they had to give in terms of, of their ability to support this franchise. It's a case that uh, we need a, a, a larger fan base, a larger uh, uh, market, if you will, in order to sustain a franchise long term.
7: I know a lot of people are thinking, well, why go to Winnipeg? You've got the Jets there, mm-hmm. the Manitoba Moose, there's a, a lot of hockey to go see aside from junior hockey and the Western Hockey League has been in Winnipeg a few times over its history and it's had to leave but it's done pretty well in Calgary it's done pretty well in Edmonton and when the Giants a number of years ago were in the Coliseum they were getting a pretty good fan base as well so Mm -hmm. that's what the Western Hockey League is hoping but too bad for Cranbrook and the Kootenays.
0: It is a loss in that little corner of the province for Mm -hmm. sure. All right thanks Squire. You're welcome. On the eve of a provincial by-election that could change the balance of power in Victoria or even lead to an early election, it's a full-court press by all parties in Nanaimo. As Richard Zussman reports, despite polls that put the opposition liberals ahead, no one is taking anything for granted in the final hours of this campaign.
5: It's the last-ditch effort to pull out every vote in Nanaimo. The NDP Sheila Malcolmson waving her sign... The Liberals, Tony Harris, filling up lunch bags for volunteers. And the Greens, Michelle May, knocking on doors. Nothing is being left to chance in what is being called the most important by-election in BC's history. Thank you so
8: much. The
2: stakes are so high and the choice is really clear. For Nanaimo, we can go back to the period of BC Liberal cuts that harmed our community. Or we can go forward with the NDP and investments in healthcare, housing and education.
5: The historical significance is clear. Just have a look at the makeup of the legislature. If the Liberals win the seat tomorrow, it will lead to a tie in the legislature with independent speaker Daryl Plekis breaking tie votes.
3: But I don't feel pressure uh, because of that. I feel a responsibility to the people of Nanaimo to deliver on my promise.
5: The polls have this as a two-way race between the Liberals and the NDP. More than 9,000 people have already voted, making up about 20% of the registered voters. But with the NDP speculation tax being widely criticized hey, and the Fleckus report pointing fingers at the B.C. Liberals, the Greens hope there's an opening here. I believe that Nanaimo is tired of the retort, tired of the, um, the promises that haven't been made and truly are ready for change. The NDP has only lost one election in Nanaimo since 1972. But on the flip side, governments have done very poorly in by-elections, winning just two of the last 22 by-elections.
9: You don't really know what it's going to change, if it's going to be even or if we're going to... NDP's going to hold on to it.
5: All three party leaders, John Horgan, Andrew Wilkinson and Andrew Weaver, have spent lots of time in Nanaimo trying to swing the riding their way. But with voting day tomorrow, the potential future of a stable minority government now shifts to the voters' hands. Richard Zussman, Global News, Nanaimo.
0: And for anyone panicking, even remotely, about the possibility of an early election, our Legislative (laughs) Bureau Chief Keith Baldry is here with a little perspective. Keith, you don't think that's going to happen no matter what the results are in Nanaimo.
10: No, I don't, Chris, and I've got a number of reasons why. I've talked to representatives of all three parties, so even if the Liberals pull out a bit of a miracle here and bring home that riding in the wind column, producing, as you saw in Richard's story, the tie in the legislature, it does not necessarily mean an election anytime soon. So here's why. Some important uh, dates and developments to keep in mind. First of all, there will only be one confidence vote. That's attached to the February budget. Uh, Daryl Plecas will vote in favour of the government. That's what the Speaker does to keep the legislature going. Uh, so that's one hurdle out of the way. There's also a couple of other important dates. There's 20- 20 MLA's pensions, including 15 Liberal MLAs, whose pensions are vested on June 1st. If the House dissolves before then, they lose their pensions. Another set of dates to keep in mind. The political party's financial interests are tied to the new fundraising rules. July 1st and January 1st is when they get their next installments for the Liberals and the NDP. We're talking a million dollars a throw $300,000 for the Greens. They cannot afford to turn their back on that money. There won't be any fall legislature session if the Liberals win because it's going to be very hard to get legislation through the House, which brings us to, Chris, what I think would be the likely election window. That is the February budget of 2020, well more than one year away from today, even if the Liberals again pull up the upset and uh, win Nanaimo tomorrow. As as Richard pointed out, uh, governments don't usually win by elections, but the NDP usually almost always wins in Nanaimo. We'll find out tomorrow night.
0: We will. Extensive coverage planned, too. We appreciate it, Keith. All right.
10: Right
1: now though, a possible taste of public transit of the future will be on the road in Metro Vancouver next month.
0: That's right, it's a driverless shuttle vehicle called ELA, short for electric autonomous. It'll be taking passengers on short rides in Surrey and Vancouver. It's part of the two cities joint entry in a federal competition aimed at fostering innovation in municipalities. The shuttle can hold up to 12 passengers and uses sensors, cameras and computers to detect obstacles. During the demonstration period, though, it will have a trained operator on board and it will be physically separated from traffic to ensure everyone's safety. In Surrey, ELA will travel around the Civic Plaza and in Vancouver, it'll run along West First Avenue near the Canby Bridge and you can book a ride online. The link is on our website.
1: And we are getting a sneak peek tonight at the major changes to one of the busiest hubs in the SkyTrain system.
0: As Aaron MacArthur reports, the renovations are designed to ease the overcrowding at the commercial Broadway station.
11: Trains at the Broadway station are going to pull into a whole new reality this weekend. Doors on both sides of westbound trains will open. Passengers able to exit and enter from either side an $81 million upgrade to the station, allowing for more people to move more freely from platform to platform.
7: We have more than 200,000 journeys that go through this station every single weekday. So it's a very busy hub. This is where the Millennium Line, the Expo Line and the 99B Line all come together.
6: For the first time ever, westbound train doors will open on both sides, providing... Broadway
11: is the busiest station on the line. It takes in double the passengers that used the platform when it was first opened in 1985. The small passerelle over Broadway taking the entire crush of passengers transferring to the Millennium Line or B-Line. And we had to put this in in a single weekend. The new walkway will accommodate passengers much more efficiently. It looks great, but passengers expect a lot.
12: I do not really find it like useful, the thing they are doing. I think they really spent a lot of money in that.
11: It's been years, right? So.
10: Hopefully they can fix the lifts. They've been
11: broken for quite a while now. There will be new elevators and escalators, what TransLink calls the vertical distribution of passengers an
7: important part of the upgrade. By doubling the number of elevators, accessibility is really important to our customers, and this helps with the accessibility uh, at the station.
11: The new station is one of the last pieces of the puzzle to upgrade the Expo line. Now, with this finished, the push will be on to get rapid transit out to the west side. Something that wasn't possible with just the old commercial Broadway station. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
1: A search is underway in the Merritt area for a missing cowboy. Mounties were called in after loggers found a horse with full saddle gear... And no rider. The owner of the horse is now being identified as a 32-year-old local man who works for a ranch in the area. He was last seen around 2 p.m. Saturday. It's unclear when he rode into the backcountry. Due to active logging and herds of wild horses in the region, finding tracks for the man has been challenging. We've had tremendous support from search and rescue groups across the
12: province. So the Nicola Valley Search and Rescue is the initial responding group. Kamloops came in last night. And then we've had mutual aid from Vernon, Oliver, Soyuz, Benticton, Princeton. Uh, And then we have groups from Chilliwack
0: and Surrey coming up tonight to help.
1: RCMP are asking for anyone who may have seen the man to contact them.
0: And the family of another missing man is making a desperate plea tonight for help more than a year after his disappearance.
1: Luke Neville was last seen near Spence's Bridge. His burned-out car was found shortly after he was reported missing. As Catherine Urquhart reports, his family is hoping their plea will uncover some fresh leads. Along
9: Highway No. 1 in Spences Bridge, Mark Neville erects a billboard covered with a photo of his baby brother, Luke.
4: There's not a D that goes by. But I haven't thought about him or where to look for him.
9: The Neville family came from Ottawa in a desperate effort to find out what happened to the 48-year-old who was last seen here October 9th, 2017. His 2003 white Ford E250 van was discovered on a service road. It had been burned out.
4: I do believe he's gone. It, it's been 15 months now or 16 months and uh, yeah, I, I don't have any hope that, that, he's, uh, that he's alive.
12: He, he's right next door to
9: us. Luke was well-liked in Spence's Bridge, where he lived and worked as a
1: carpenter. He just did a lot of things for us. You know, just a nice kid. And it
9: just, just seems so sad. Luke's house is now up for sale. The listing includes that it was used for a grow-up, police reluctant to
0: elaborate.
8: This is something that is being looked at. Uh, we're aware that
0: uh, there was... Uh, Uh, a connection uh, with uh, illicit drugs.
9: Outside Luke Neville's house, a second billboard asks for help.
4: I can only hope that seeing his photo and hearing my plea will motivate someone to pick up the phone and tell us where he is. Please tell me where to look for him. Please help me find my little brother.
9: The Neville family and this entire community hoping for answers. Catherine Urquhart, Global News, Spences Bridge.
0: The Vancouver Aquarium's Marine Mammal Rescue Center has a new patient, and she's melting hearts as she recovers.
13: Hey. you go, friend? Can you go first? I'll go second. Oh, hey. Okay.
0: The seven-month-old northern fur seal pup was found north of Campbell River, floating sideways and unable to dive. She's now safe and sound, being fed and getting antibiotics. The pup is dehydrated and underweight, But veterinarians say she's feisty and they are hoping her condition will stabilize over the next few days. The last northern fur seal treated by the Marine Mammal Rescue Center was eventually nursed back to health and released into the wild. (laughs) Crews continue to dig through the mud searching for bodies after a catastrophic collapse at a dam or catastrophic collapse of a dam at a mine in Brazil. 65 people are confirmed dead, but that's expected to rise, with at least 279 still missing. The search process is painstakingly slow, with mud up to eight meters deep in some places. Five people from the mining company have now been arrested as a criminal investigation into the dam rupture begins.
1: Serial killer Bruce MacArthur pleaded guilty to eight counts of first-degree murder in a Toronto courtroom today.
0: And as Catherine McDonald reports, the statement of facts included some disturbing new details about MacArthur's crimes. <laughs>
14: Bruce MacArthur's guilty plea was something that had been anticipated, but not until the 67-year-old landscaper actually stood up in court and said the word guilty eight times did it really sink in that MacArthur was finally admitting to the first-degree murder of eight men who disappeared between 2010 and 2017, all with connections to Toronto's gay village.
8: The events which transpired in court today are the culmination of a tremendous amount of work on the part of the investigative team from the Toronto Police Service.
14: After the guilty plea, Crown Attorney Michael Cantlin read out a brief statement of facts, telling the court that during each of the murders, one or more of the following factors were present. Planning and deliberation, a murder committed in the course of sexually assaulting the victims, or murder committed while the victims were unlawfully confined. After murdering the man MacArthur in an effort to avoid detection, dismembered and disposed of their body parts at this midtown Toronto home where he worked as a gardener, placing some body parts in planters while other human remains were unearthed in the ravine next to the property. In six of the eight cases, the murders were sexual in nature. There is also evidence that a ligature and in one case ropes were used to confine his victims. In many of the cases, police say MacArthur also staged the bodies, perhaps photographing them, after they were dead. During their search of MacArthur's apartment, officers discovered a duffel bag containing duct tape, a surgical glove, rope, zip ties, a black bungee cord, and syringes in the bedroom. No motive has been given for the murders, but more facts are expected to be released in court next week.
10: We, myself, and the investigative team, are pleased that Mr. MacArthur has pled guilty today sparing the community and those who knew the victims a lengthy trial.
14: Detective Dave Dickinson, who led the case, says their work is far from done, still examining cold cases in an effort to link MacArthur to other unsolved
10: murders. We did this um, because we wanted answers too, uh, and I hope we brought uh, some closure.
14: Catherine McDonald, Global News.
0: More moments of forgiveness and anger in a Saskatchewan courtroom today, the second straight day of victim impact statements in sentencing related to the Humboldt bus crash.
1: Tonight, new evidence shows the semi-truck driver who caused the crash should not have been on the road. Ryan Kessler has more.
3: For a second day, at Singh Sidhu sat in a tearful makeshift courtroom, coming face to face with victims. This after a logbook review found Sidhu violated roughly 50 federal regulations and 20 provincial regulations in under two weeks before the crash. Clearly, Mr. Sidhu was overwhelmed by the position that he was put in by a, a much bigger, much sicker industry. He never should have been
8: charge of a vehicle
3: that size on that road. Christina Hogan in her victim impact statement says the steering wheel was a weapon in Sadhu's hands, but she forgives him for her husband's death, stating if you ever want to know about Darcy Hogan, you come ask me because there isn't one person on this earth that wasn't better knowing him. Also drawing from his faith, a billet parent asked the court to consider a punishment that would not make Sadhu, quote, the 30th victim of the tragedy.
8: I feel I'm commanded to forgive. And sometimes that's harder to do than we would like.
3: Others, like Russell Harold, did not express forgiveness. He spoke directly to Sadu, saying the driver ended his family name, and now the future of his family farm is in question. The truck driver sat motionless as a mother told him he is not worthy of her forgiveness after he played God and chose to drive through the stop sign. This process includes 75 victim impact statements. We expect to hear the final statements from Families Wednesday before sentencing arguments can begin. Ryan Kessler, Global News.
1: A new round of votes on the contentious Brexit plan. British lawmakers gave Prime Minister Theresa May a few more weeks to try to salvage a deal to leave the EU. In an attempt to break the deadlock, May got backing to rework the provision that allows the border between Ireland and Northern Ireland to be free of checkpoints. But the head of the EU says the deal reached with Britain is the best it will get and is not up for renegotiation. Meanwhile, protesters gathered outside showing their opposition
0: to the proposed deal. It seems Spider-Man can't help crawling into trouble.
11: Oh, my gosh. gosh.
0: What are you doing? Alain Robert, known as the French Spider-Man, was arrested after he was caught scaling a 217-meter tower in the Philippines. Many people, both inside and outside the building, captured the limber climber on their phones. As usual, he had no harness or safety equipment. Robert is facing a public disturbance charge.
1: In Health Matters tonight, researchers at UBC are launching a new project to try and better understand high school kids and mental illness. Psychologists say more than... Ten percent of first-year students experience a depressive episode. By the end of grade 12, almost 40 percent of students have experienced some sort of mental illness. The new study will focus on identifying which kids are most at risk and why in an effort to develop early intervention and prevention strategies
9: we're hoping to understand who is at risk why they're at risk and we're also hoping to understand and learn from kids who are actually doing really well during the transition so there are some kids for instance who have a lot of resilience and we want to know why what can we learn from them
0: you're watching global news hour at six
1: an unlikely pair heading for a nasty breakup but some are hoping to keep these buddies together right after Christie's forecast.
0: That is very unusual. Uh, Okay, we are really the envy of a lot of people. The weather here on the south coast, the envy of our neighbors to the east. Much of Canada blanketed in a deep freeze.
1: Yikes, Toronto hit hard by a snow and windstorm. The dump making it very difficult to get to work this morning. People using some alternatives to get around clearly, strapping on the skis. Uh, the cold isn't letting up either. Southern Ontario is under an extreme cold warning with wind chill values topping minus 30 tonight.
0: I miss blasting through snow banks. <laughs> It looked like so much fun there. It looked there, like that one fun,
6: guy. but maybe for
0: a day. <laughs> maybe for a day. Yeah, okay, okay uh, yeah, Christy's here with uh, what is ahead in our forecast mm-hmm. as we... As we anger everybody else across the country here today. Don't
6: call any relatives or friends back east. Yeah, it's not the time to do that. That's for sure. So we have dropped in temperature. We're at 2 degrees right now. But we hit double digits today across the lower mainland. It was sensational in that sunshine. So 10 degrees in Burnaby, Langley, Aldergrove. And White Rock was the hot spot across the country. Which is not surprising, I suppose. Uh, The actual temperature there was 11.5 degrees. Rounding it up to 12 degrees. Meanwhile, yes, the rest of the country. These were the actual temperatures, not with the wind chill. So, some areas dropping down close to minus 40. Uh, Toronto, the high was minus 3, but with that wind chill, it dropped it even further. And just to give you a perspective, what these numbers actually mean, here's the risk of frostbite. If you get down to that minus 47 level, your skin freezes in 5 to 10 minutes. And if you drop below that to minus 55, your skin freezes in less than than two minutes of exposure. Now, There's that pool of cold air across the eastern sections. That is going to shift out over the next two days. And we are going to see a transition across the south coast and uh, BC region as well. But the key here that I wanted to point out is, yes, we are going to see some Arctic air drop down across the province as well. So I'm going to show you what that means for our region in a second. It's not until the end of the weekend that we'll experience that. In the meantime, we have some snow that's going to travel into the Columbia region tomorrow morning. That will clear out through the afternoon hours, but we're expecting snow across the northern sections. So yes, we're starting to see a transition. Most of southern BC will still see one more dry day tomorrow before we see a change on Thursday. So there's the rainfall across the coastal regions. Terrace will see a couple centimeters of snow before it changes over to rain. Down through the south, flurries in through Valmont, Revelstoke and Golden just in the morning, otherwise dry and fairly mild for one more day before we start to see the a change over the weekend for Southern BC. So seven degrees, we'll see more cloud tomorrow, but still a pleasant day. It's not until later Thursday, by the afternoon hours, does the rain push in. So two wet days on the way, a few showers through the weekend, but it's Sunday night into Monday and Tuesday that we'll feel that Arctic air. And yes, we have the possibility of snow. It's a low chance right now. I'm just letting you uh, be aware of it. So as we get towards the weekend, keep tuning back in and we'll let you know more about about it. Great shot of more hair ice in Pitt Meadows. Thanks to Abby for that photo.
0: Looks that just so looks fluffy. so weird.
1: Mm-hmm. Alright, looks like a flower almost. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Christy. Well, the famous but unlikely friendship appears to be facing a breakup at a Russian zoo, and it's leading to a lot of heartbreak.
0: Amer the tiger and Timur the goat have been paired up as the main attraction at the safari park in Russia's Primorsky region. Their bond had a bit of a rocky start, Timur was actually placed in the pen to be Amor's lunch back in 2015, but the little goat fought back, and the two have been inseparable ever since. Well, now the park wants to relocate Amor to a tiger park without his little buddy. But fans of the pair aren't having it. They've started a petition, and they've already collected about 10,000 signatures. Hopefully they can stay Mm -hmm. together
1: and get along. Now, a warning to iPhone users, you might want to be careful with what you say within earshot of your device.
0: It appears a newly discovered bug in the iPhone's FaceTime app lets people hear you, even if the recipient doesn't pick up.
12: Tonight, Apple has disabled the group FaceTime feature that enabled callers to secretly listen in on your phone like this.
5: And you can see, I can still hear her, yet she hasn't answered.
12: A security flaw that 14-year-old Grant Thompson says he first noticed 10 days ago.
13: We were both pretty stunned that we could uh, hear both of each other without him even clicking answer.
12: Posting this YouTube video demonstrating the stunning glitch. His mom, Michelle, tweeting Apple on January 20th. I tried lots of different avenues to try and get anyone to listen. When other posts of the bug went viral Monday night. This is so weird. Apple disabled the group feature, adding in a statement, we're aware of this issue and we have identified a fix that will be released in a software update later this week. Another bug at times streamed video when a recipient thought they had declined the call. So what can Apple users do now? You can still FaceTime just one person and it doesn't appear to have the bug, but if you want to disable it altogether until the fix, it's easy. Just go into settings, find FaceTime and click this off. A company that prides itself on protecting privacy.
13: Any bug could give away all your personal information.
12: Now under fire for letting others listen in. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News.
0: <clears throat> that was three quick sneezes in a row. <laughs> you okay?
1: With three and seconds
12: left. Are you
0: okay? Yeah.
1: For such a small person. <laughs> <laughs> I like to let everyone know I'm here.
0: Never
7: hold Excuse in the sneeze. You know the people that... Yeah, do that. The, chew,
6: you,
1: lose, I
7: always, I always, you lose
6: brain cells apparently. Yeah,
7: well, it, it sounds like you looks like your head's going to explode because
0: you're holding. I you wonder out. how many brain cells
1: <laughs> I've lost. And anyway, the the weather, I feel like I'm already starting oh, my spring I allergies see. again.
0: Pollen's wow. pumping out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: something bad would happen if mm. there's been it. a sneezing fit around <sighs> here? I'm a no, believer, go, like, if you're going to
7: sneeze, you let it out, man. Like, you you know, like, out. cover, this so cover, about this. but, you know, yeah, because you go, mm, it's like, I, I'm serious, you're going to blow blood out. Oh, down. apologies
1: to the guy who was sitting next to me on my flight this weekend.
7: <laughs> really? Were you letting it out?
1: I couldn't stop sneezing, and he was like, a
7: oh, I poor bet. guy, felt <laughs> <Bell> badly. <laughs> I know. Anyway. I, yeah. That's why people get <clears> colds <throat> on planes. That yeah. stuff just goes around and around. Oh. Uh, It's been rumored all season, and now it's real. Unfortunately, the Kootenai Ice will leave Cranbrook at the end of this Western Hockey League season and head off to Winnipeg, where the majority owner of the ice, Greg Fettis, is from. But the Western Hockey League says they themselves played a big role in making the move because staying in Cranbrook was no longer feasible.
8: It was a it was a decision made over a eight or nine year period of assessment of this market and uh, the ability for this franchise to be sustainable over a long period of time.
7: There was a time when the Ice were the hottest thing in the Kootenays. In 2002, they were Memorial Cup champions. In fact, they've been the Western Hockey League champs three times during their 21 years in Cranbrook, the last being 2011. But being one of the smaller towns in the Western Hockey League with small attendance became a big part of its undoing.
8: Uh, these are challenging times in order for small markets to graze the level of support. It's not a reflection of, at all on this community because this community I think gave everything they had to give in terms of of their ability to support this franchise. It's a case that uh, we need a a larger fan base, a larger uh, uh, market if you will in order to sustain a franchise long term.
7: So now the WHL will hope to find enough fans in Winnipeg where the Jets are kings and also hope that they won't have to disappoint any other small markets in the near future.
8: This is only the second relocation we've had in 20 years. Uh, but this franchise was, was certainly in 1998. We've only had one since that time, and that was Chilliwack to Victoria. So these are things that we take. Uh, 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 our position is very clear. We want to make sure, as, as indicated, that uh, we do everything we can to keep the franchises where they are, and that's certainly our, our objective moving forward.
7: All right, speaking of Winnipeg, Jets in Boston. The Jets lost in Philadelphia last night. Now they're on facing the Bruins late in the first period. Bruins' power play ends up with a David Pasternak goal. 2-1. But then Kyle Connor gets the Jets not only back in it, but into the lead. That's his first of two in just 34 seconds. And he'll get one more. But uh, since the Jets have taken a 3-2 lead, the Bruins have tied it up. They are 3-3 in the third period. Well, not all the players that Carl Robinson brought into Vancouver have been cast adrift by the Whitecaps' new regime. Today, they signed Jordy Reyna and Felipe to new contracts. Felipe is here for two more seasons. There's a club option for 2021. Reyna has this year coming up for sure. Options for 2020, 2021. Felipe is the kind of steady midfielder that new head coach Mark DeSantos loves. While Reyna is a guy who can create offense, we've all seen that, and finish at times. It would be nice if he finished more. 13 goals in 37 starts with the Caps. The Canadian Elite Basketball League is a new domestic professional loop. Six teams, where a good chunk of the players will be Canadian. One team in B.C., And one of those teams will be, or that team, I should say, in BC, will be the Fraser Valley Bandits, who will play out of the Abbotsford Sports and Entertainment Center, and their head coach is a former star up at SFU.
11: I would like to introduce the
10: inaugural head coach and general manager of the Fraser Valley Bandits, Mr. Peter Garashi.
4: Peter Garashi is the first of many Canadians you'll see front and center when the Canadian Elite Basketball League begins play this May. Abbotsford's Fraser Valley Bend is part of the new six-team league with clubs in Edmonton, Saskatoon, Niagara, Guelph, and Hamilton.
8: Players will be able to stay home and continue to develop. I think this uh, this league has to be about the players and the fans, uh, giving players an opportunity to grow their games and further their careers so they have better opportunities overseas or they can uh, participate in a higher level overseas and continue to develop. Uh, that's what the Bell is going to be about.
4: It's an opportunity that didn't exist when Garashi was delivering quality minutes for Simon Fraser University. After an MVP collegiate career, he was forced to head overseas like so many other Canadian kids who wanted to play professional ball. Now that there's a pro-domestic league with 70% of the roster being Canadian, players won't need to pull out their passports to continue playing hoops at a high level.
8: My personal passion that uh, Canadian players have a place to play. It's uh, it, some of the countries in this world that have leagues and... Survive. It's it's amazing that we don't have our own league. So finally, to have this opportunity and to be a part of it in its inaugural season was an opportunity I couldn't pass up.
9: And now it's go
4: time. The CEBL it's has strong to ties to basketball to Canada and is sanctioned by FIBA. Shot-o. The type of ball to be played on the hard court identical to the international game. Four again. 10-minute oh, quarters, officiated under international rules, with 10 home and games and 10 away games. Fraser Valley Bandits begin play May 9th. Jay
7: Januar, Global Sports. Like I'm the digging the logo. Yeah. It's I like mindful. it too.
0: I like the logo. You think I'm too old to try on?
6: <laughs> not at no all. No so. <laughs> chance. You're pretty tall.
0: No chance. Okay.
6: Here's your snow report for tonight. Not a lot of new snow, but tons of sunshine again across the province. Whistler-Blackcomb at the top, minus 2. Grouse hit 4 degrees today. Into Revelstoke, they did pick up 2 centimeters. Fernie, Manning Park, and Whitewater, no new snow, but good bases for this time of year. Big White has a base of 173, Silver Star 172, and Peaks 150. Into Kicking Horse, Mount Washington, and Powder King, no new snow, but Powder King has a nice base at 247.
0: All right, so anyone who has ever owned a cat or owns one now knows that the very idea of controlling your pet is almost laughable. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) But exactly, right?
7: (laughs) Herding cats. Yeah,
1: Yeah. exactly. (laughs) There's a reason that's a saying. But the Greater Victoria region is being asked to do just that by enforcing its existing bylaws that cats must be kept on leashes. Good luck with that. Kylie Stanton reports.
13: For dogs, the collars, tags, and leash are as much a part of life as chasing after a frisbee. But what about their feline friends?
10: Cats on leashes. Licensing cats. I think it's a good idea.
13: So does the Victoria Natural History Society. Earlier this month, the group sent out this letter to each municipality in the capital regional district, calling for a crackdown on existing bylaws as well as the introduction of licensing.
9: So this about creating awareness. I'll, I'll guarantee you that most people in Victoria, Esquimalt and Oak Bay, didn't realize that there was a, already a cat control bylaw on the books there. Ah!
13: Under the existing Victoria City bylaws, cat owners must maintain control of their pets at all times in public, meaning the cats need to be leashed or in a kennel. Cats are also banned from trespassing. The same goes for the city of Vancouver. But the idea of licensing is something new, at least here. Come on, kitty. In 2007, Calgary cats started wearing what dogs have been sporting for years, the bylaw requiring all cats over three months to be licensed.
9: And they used the money from licenses to fund returning cats to their owners and also to provide shelter for cats that are picked up until they can be reunited with their owners.
13: The society claims this will go a long way to protect wildlife, property, even the cats themselves. But so far there's been no uptake on the idea. In fact, of the 13 municipalities to receive the letter, only View Royal and Colwood responded.
4: So it said uh, regarding the implementation of cat licensing.
13: Both thanking the society, but saying there would be no further action.
4: I've received zero emails um, from our community and I really haven't been contacted by anybody um, saying that this is a major concern and I, I think the rest of council has not either and so hence the reason we're not we're not doing anything at the present time.
13: Still there's some support out there. I think that's a great idea. Makes sense don't you think? But whether the cats will go along with the plan well maybe in their next life. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria.
1: Or they're next. Or
13: they're they're next. next. Or they're next.
7: Well, they've got nine of them.
1: (laughs) Just be prepared to put up with a lot of scratches. (laughs) You
0: you see that one where
7: the the cats can't walk with leashes very well. They always look like, they're.
0: what's going on They're trying to get it off their Yeah, They don't understand (laughs) what's happening. That's part of it. Thanks for watching. Have a good night. Good
1: night, all.